Hallelujah. Today I want to talk about finding balance. That didn't sound too good, but let me tell you a little story about uh, uh, Larry the Wonder Man. Uh, I used to like bicycles and back. How many of you guys are familiar? Okay. Again, this is going to be show how old you are time. How many of you uh, had a banana bike? Banana seat bike. Look at all these hands, would you? You guys are old. Okay. Anyway, they used to be uh, in the yeah, 60s and 70s. The, the hot bicycle of the day was a, kind of a, a, a low rider bicycle with a big banana seat on there. I don't know why banana seats were so hot, but anyway, that was there. And then the big bars, which are the most ridiculous things in the world. They're absolutely unsafe. I had one of them babies, and I had the fancy kind. It had three gears on it, so you could really crank it up. Big old bars, and I had handbrakes on each one, kind of like some of the Harleys are out there today. The big problem is, <clears throat> if you have the ability to go fast, but you don't have the knowledge or the sense on how to stop, it's going to get exciting in your life. You're going to discover the laws of physics. You're going to discover inertia. You're going to discover momentum. You're going to discover, you know, velocity versus gravity. And I did. I went down, I lived in, on uh, 67th Street in North Kansas City. <clears throat> and it's a big old long hill that goes into busy traffic. It's really cool. So anyway, I got up speed. It was my first ride on my banana seat bicycle. I was a strong kid for being a midget. And anyway, I went down that thing really high, high speed and uh, discovered I needed to stop. I pulled one handbrake. You guys think it was the front or the back? It was the front. You know, it's always going to happen. It's the law. It happens. There's going to be an education. I had an education coming in the laws of physics, and it happened. So I pushed the, the I, I pulled on the brake to stop because there was cars coming, all that good stuff. Remember, this was a banana seat, so there's no uh, slick, slickness is pretty cool. Those were really shiny. It was a new seat. No friction to help me there. And I had the big high handlebars, so I had the perfect pivot point. I hit those front brakes and boom, bam, right over the front handlebars. And uh, I applied natural brakes called knees and elbows on the street. And I was going probably about 40 miles an hour. So I had a, basically my first motorcycle wreck. Only I wasn't wearing anything to protect, so I still carry those scars to this day. The Flying Larry guy. And... Uh, I, later I learned about balance, and then I discovered the limits of physical bicycles because then I started doing the jumps, and, you know, the, or I'm convinced somebody was videotaping and came up with extreme games just for me. Except I did it. I had to stop because all the bolts flew off my bicycle. I'd go too high, come down, and crash. So. I'm talking about balance. I'm going to read the Scripture uh, from the Message Bible, Mark 12, 29 through 31. I'm going to read it for you real quick. I don't know if it's up there yet because I, I, this one's kind of tough to get. Mark 12, verses 29 through 31, Message Bible. Jesus said he'd just been asked what the most important laws or principles in Scripture, what's most important, and he's being set up. He's dealing with doctors of the law and the whole thing. He says, the first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. This is called the Shema in Hebrew. The Lord your God is one, so love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. 
And here is the second, love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. By the way, that's still true. This is one of those principles that crosses the barrier from Old Covenant to New Covenant untouched. This is still blazing in reality and eternity. This is the most important thing we can do. I chose this because it gives a different name. It uses different words to describe this. You'll see why I'm doing it. Normally, uh, in King James, you know, in standing in NIV, it talks about how you love the Lord God with all that heart, they soul, they strength. One, because we sometimes mix up soul and heart, we don't understand the Hebrew understandings of it, or even the Greek understandings. I want us to just look at it from a different way. Here's the, here's the question How do we stay fervent in spirit? And we'll read the passage in Revelation where Jesus says, Hey, be hot or cold, but above all, don't be lukewarm. Okay? So, how do we stay hot in the spirit while also staying steady? or steadfast at the same time. That's going to be the crux today. Don't most of us go one way or the other. Here's the problem. Most of us, because we're afraid of being too hyper-spiritual, loosey-goosey weird, we put the brakes on, <clears throat> like I did, and we end up flipping ourselves. We end up going the wrong direction. We never intended to it. Most of Christianity today is stuck in the lukewarm position, not because they choose to. That isn't the plan. They didn't purposely. None of us want to reach the place where Jesus is so disgusted with us, he wants to spit us out of his mouth. He rarely says that. Jesus is very loving and gracious with us. He works with us. He carries us places we can't get to our, by ourselves. But nevertheless, most of Christianity, remember this, that we'll read it in a, in a minute, that was written to a church that really mimics churches today in modern society where we have everything going for us. And we end up in this lukewarm place where we accomplish nothing. And unfortunately, it has the same reaction in the public realm with people who are trying to search for God. They're disgusted by what they see as the modern church today. Because we fit in so well, it looks like the God we serve makes no difference worth paying attention to. That's what lukewarm gets you. It gets you nowhere. So anyway, in our desire to avoid being extreme and our pride at not being cold, we end up in the worst possible place. So let's look at the solution again. Let's turn to Revelation 3. Verses 14 through 18, I'm going to read from the New International Version. Revelation 3, verses 14 through 18. This is written to the church at Laodicea. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. This is Jesus speaking. The ruler of God's creation. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. 16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Let me give you a clue. The Lord always gives us a warning. He's not sudden. He doesn't, he's not after hitting you with a baseball bat. He always warns us and nudges us in the right direction. Grace requires Him. He is grace. And he, it always requires Him to give us lots of warnings and a lifetime, usually, of nudging us in the right place, gently helping us do the things that we want to do but can't pull off on our own. 
He goes on because he gives some details. Now listen to this. The reason we need to listen to verse 17 on down is it, be, it describes our society. 17. You say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and I did not need a thing. You guys know the hardest people to talk to about Jesus are people who have it all going on. You ever tried to witness somebody at the lake? It's tough. It's not easy. That's why it's, it's tough sometimes to have a, a strong church ministry on a beach. I felt, often feel called to a beach ministry. My wife's Hawaiian. I really feel called there. I really feel maybe someday I might have a beach ministry. But that's a pretty tough ministry because everything's going right there. Nobody wants to talk about Jesus when the, when the waves are up. You want to get out there. You, know? you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, he's talking about a church here, guys. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. That speaks of a faith that's perfected through it's a cuss word, guys. It's an S word. It's suffering. In the church, suffering, you have a conference on suffering. How many you think will show up? The one fool stupid enough to name a conference a conference on suffering. That's only people who show up. And yet Jesus is saying that's the kind of faith he wants us to purchase from him. So I'm not urging you to go out and just suffer needlessly. It will come. Scriptures tell us all who will live godly in this life will, not maybe, they will suffer persecution. So it will come. It may not be where they line you up and shoot you, but in your life, if you want to live a life that honors God, you will bump up against some opposition. Just expect that. It's normal. Moving on. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. God's definitions of rich and our definitions of rich rarely match. And white clothes to wear, always a picture of righteousness. This is a fancy word that means living God's way, the right kind of living. So, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. He's speaking to believers here, blood-washed believers. And he's doing this because he cares, not because he takes delight in pointing fingers at losers. I'm a loser left to my own ability. My ability to prance around and try and pretend to be perfect is limited at best. People can see right through it. The best way is just to be honest with God and say, Lord God, I cannot pull this off. I still get, I'm still mad at jerk face over there. And I really want to give him my opinion because he keeps doing this thing. And then you remember Jesus' teaching, 70 times 7. Keep forgiving. He's, he, he makes it an impossible standard. Good. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Making that non-King James is, again, it's God giving you the want to and then God giving you the strength to pull it off. That's grace. That's why I named this church Grace Church. We pull it off by grace alone. We can't do this by trying. You have to say, yes, Lord, and yield to him, but his spirit will help you do what you can't do on your own. Let me move on. So we described the problem. Now I want to go through some of the solutions from God's Word, okay? Number one, stand your ground. He wants us to stand ground. This is, this is the one side, and then the other side is staying red hot. Why do we have to stand our ground? 
If you go to Ephesians 6, you're going to see the uh, armor of the Spirit. A lot of us in Sunday school learn this, and, but never, somehow it never quite gets out of the Sunday school class to real life where we live. Dealing with our crappy jobs, dealing with uh, people that are jerks, dealing with our own problem, you know, I'm always in a bad mood. We deal in a real life. How can we get this real life? Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. Sometimes the scriptures are trying to teach us things that we're not immediately aware of. We want it to be five minutes, and God wants it to be a lifetime. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, he is not just talking about the day when, when the Antichrist will show up or something like that. The day of evil is any day where you come face to face with evil. Anytime you suffer persecution, you get pressed against a wall. Are you going to back down and compromise, or are you going to stand for what you believe? And that doesn't mean taking a stand where you get fired. I'm talking about just taking a stand. I'm not going to join in the talk. I'm not going to join in the gossip. I'm not going to agree with everybody in the place that we should just blow off doing it right and just do a good enough job to put a Band-Aid on it and pretend to ship that thing out the way it is. Sometimes in assembly lines, in public service sector, when you're faced with wanting to maybe cheat on your tax forms or cheat on the forms at work, it's just easier to go along and say, okay. But there are times in your life when you want to live God's way, He will put an urge in you to do something that isn't politically correct. You are facing, for your life, a day of evil. And here's what he says. After you've done everything, he says, put on the full armor of God. And of course, he's going to list that armor. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. There are times when you do everything you know to do, and the pressure keeps coming. What are you going to do? Stand. And at that point, you're not going to be able to do it through intellect. You're not going to be able to do it through mental assertion. You're not going to be able to do it just because you've always been tough in your life. There reaches a point where you're going to have to tap on some power that isn't in you. And to do that, you have to have had an encounter with Jesus. That's just the bottom line. And when you do that, when you go to the trouble to spend time with Jesus you will recognize it when he comes on to a situation and gives you strength that you don't have, patience that you don't have, courage that ne you want. Where did that come from? I would never do that. We used to um, have a coffee house back when that was in. I guess it might be coming back again. Uh, but this was a coffee house to hang out in. This is in Fort Smith when Kisser Radio was downtown on uh, Greenwood. And... Uh, in those days, the only thing to do, kind of still is the only thing to do in parts of Fort Smith, was for the teenagers to get in cars and drive. Even if you would inch along, you know, a yard at a time, there would be thousands of cars in Greenwood in those days, and they would just inch along, and that was the excitement of the day. And so we set up a coffee house right across from uh, Kisser Radio where we had live entertainment. 
Sometimes it was schlocky and not so cool, but other times it was pretty good. But the whole weird thing was the place was packed all the time because it was a little more exciting, as bad as it was, is more exciting than inching along on the road. One time, toward the end of the night, a great big guy came in. We're actually closed, and it was just me and some of the, the girls there that were volunteering. And he came in and said, hey, man, can I have some coffee? And we, he's clearly high. And so our policy was we let anybody in. We were there to minister and just be there. Whether we preached at him or not, most of the time we didn't preach at him. We just built relationships. And uh, this guy came in, and uh, they gave him some coffee. He was so big, he, we had some, one old desk was like a school desk thing, you know, where it wraps around you. He could barely fit in. He wasn't fat. He was just big, you know. And it doesn't matter if you're fat. I mean, I'm just, he was a big guy. He just couldn't fit in the school desk. He's a big guy. And um, I turned my back to do something. We were getting ready to close up, and the girl screamed. And I turned around, and he was towering over me. He was like six. Anybody can tower over me, but he was really towering over me. He's really big. It's like I was looking at his belt buckle. And the Holy Spirit took hold of me at that time. You know, otherwise, I, just, I was going to get pounded or whatever he wanted to do. He was high. He was not in control of himself. And the anointing of the Lord came on me instantaneously. And I pointed at him and said, sit down. And he sat down instantly. He gave me the voice of command. I hadn't been trained to do that. And so I just gave him the voice of command. He sat down immediately like a small puppy dog and began to talk to him about the Lord. In that moment, God made me more than I was, more than I'd been trained to be, because it needed to be. Do you understand that the Lord knows you in whatever situation he puts you in? He will give you the ability to be the parent that you can't be. He'll give you the ability to be the loving spouse and forgive your spouse when they've done something that's unforgivable. When you have every right to go for a divorce, and he will give you the grace to forgive and then help your spouse get back on the path and never stray again. He will give you the ability to deal with a situation at work where even if you have to be fired, you will stand for what's right. I am not going to lie on these forms. If you do that, and you do it God's way, He will cause all things to work out, to work together for good in your life. Hallelujah. Move on. That one's free. Hallelujah. Keep on going. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can, listen to this promise, extinguish all, extinguish all, extinguish every flaming arrow of the evil one. One of the foolish things that we do in the Greek-influenced American culture is we like to make everything a myth. We like to make everything a metaphor, just a picture. It's not, it's not literal. So we have literally written Satan out of our picture. Anybody talks about Satan, oh, you're a, you're a you know, pin-headed weirdo. Um, I don't think so. This is Jesus speaking. He's not speaking in a metaphor. You need to understand that in the spirit realm, which is more real than the physical realm of matter, I'm not a genius. I don't have the math side, but I love physics. I love to study uh, the planets and look at things. I, I realize that the realm of matter is a sign and a wonder. 
I'm not afraid of science. I love science. I love to embrace science. But anytime science goes against the principles of the Scriptures, there's a problem. We're going to be in divine tension until they finally catch up. And they've caught up in a lot of things. Science has told us many things with absolute finality, absolutely correct, you know. And then they've had to go back, erase it all, and rewrite their scientific understanding as they caught up with, with spiritual truth, okay. Well, there is an enemy, and he does shoot flaming darts at you. He shoots darts at your heart. He shoots darts at your mental stability. He comes and whispers things to you. He doesn't know all things, but he is certainly, other than Jesus, our Creator, through the Father, Satan is probably the best psychologist on the planet. He has studied our race for who knows how long. As long as this race has existed, he's been able to be an observer of human nature. So he knows how to get into our head and play with us. He knows how to work the guilt game. He knows how to work the doubt game, the fear game. Psychosis is his realm. That's where he dwells. If he can cause you to walk in fear, he can make you shrink back from the best thing in existence. Do you realize that they have found people who were accidentally locked in freezers where there was plenty of air? It actually happened, I think, in New York City about 10 years ago. It was on all the news. There was a lady that was locked accidentally in a freezer. It was an abandoned freezer. It had plenty of air. There were openings. But because she was in a freezer, she thought, she actually froze to death, and there was no freezing temperature in there. It was mental. She had literally convinced herself, and her body began to duplicate the effects. Our minds are powerful. The enemy plays with that. Understand, this is a promise that says if you take up the armor of the Spirit, you can extinguish every single dart aimed at you. You don't need to ha have a victim mentality. All right, it goes on. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Does this sound like a, a sleep church? Does this sound like Christians that are lukewarm? Not to me. This sounds like people who understand they are eternal spirits who have an eternal soul. Their mind, will, emotions, and memories all linked who also dwell in a temporary physical body during their temporary stay on this planet. We forget that. We let our flesh rule. We let our temporary emotions rule. We let our fears and limitations. So the point is we live in a world where we are challenged. And where we are challenged and pushed to the limit, that's where we need to draw on a power greater than us. And at that point, you don't want to be limiting the power that's greater than you because of political correctness. You need to acknowledge that God is a spirit. He answers prayer. Prayer is effective and it's real. But it's in the realm of the spirit. It seems like the weakest, wimpiest thing you can do is pray. It's not. It's not. And if you've had an encounter, like I described earlier, when I was 17, I had an encounter where God touched me and I felt his presence. Yeah, I felt it. It's okay to feel God and to feel his presence. It's okay to be moved by the Spirit. As we'll read a little bit later, it says, As many as of the sons and daughters of God, behold, they are led by the Spirit. How can you be led by the Spirit if you're trying to minimize being spiritual? It doesn't work. You can't have that. 
Let's go on. Hallelujah. Thinking or the lack thereof matters. These are all points. I've just talked to you about how we need to stand our ground. That's the stability part. A lot of people want to be so stable and so intellectual, even in their study of Scripture, that they don't, they're afraid of wildfire and they don't want to have the Spirit move them. They end up being dead from the head down. And they're lacking half of the power of being a believer. A church is fundamentally a supernatural institution. Otherwise, we're a good philosophy, good thinking, uh, charitable organization that does good things for people, which we are all those things. But that's not what makes a church. What makes a church is the Lord of the church. Jesus, who came, died, rose from the dead, is the right hand of the Father praying for us. It's a supernatural institution. We need to acknowledge that. If you ever get in trouble out there, in, outside of these church walls, for being a Christian, it'll be because you believe in an invisible God who came and made himself flesh and supernaturally worked miracles and then gave us the delegated authority to continue working miracles in other people's lives. That's the church. No question about it. The only time it changes is as people begin to move the supernatural out and just go with the logical, the intellectual, and the Greek approach, the Greek philosophical approach to the church. It's more than that. It's more than that. That's why I'm trying to encourage you. We need to walk in the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit in His presence to begin to saturate us. But that's not going to happen when you live a life on the run. You're going to have to have some moments where you stop and you seek His face. Seek Him first. He said, if you seek me, I will be found. Hallelujah. Moving on. Proverbs 23.7. In one of those Proverbs, it's actually in the context of dealing with, with uh, people whose lives are solely on this earth and they're only after the things they can get, manipulate, and accumulate. Wealth for wealth's sake. He said, if you go to eat at that man's table, don't be fooled by his words. And he says this little nugget that we need to enjoy. It says in Proverbs 23, 7b, it says, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. King James says, As a man thinketh, so he is. Kind of like as a man stinketh, so he stinks. The way you think inside matters. That's why, you know, in the Bible school, we go to great lengths to teach people how to think don't be afraid to think. Just know that the boundaries to your thoughts have to be anchored in God's Word. But God wants thinking believers as well as people who are moved by the Spirit. Okay. Next point. Who's giving directions? I already quoted this a little bit. Romans 8, 13 through 14. I'm going to read this in two versions, again, to help us get a full picture. Romans 8, 13 through 14 in the NIV, it says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, in other words, basically if you're trying to earn your way to heaven by the good things you do, it's not going to work. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. In other words, we can't pull this off by ourselves. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit. You will live. Verse 14 is the core scripture. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The huos, neither male nor female. The kids, the offspring of God. Now, I'm going to read this from the Message Bible because I love the way it catches us off guard. This has some of the feelings in the original language that we need. Romans 8, 
12 through 14. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? Do it yourself. Work your way to heaven by being goody to you. You guys can't pull it off. None of us can. If we could have made it by the law, we wouldn't have needed Jesus on the cross. Fact is, we did need that. We need God's help. We're not perfect. We're not going to be perfect except as God works in us. And the real perfection won't come till we see him face to face. Might as well get it over with, acknowledge it, and acknowledge it every day. Okay, we need his help. Now it goes on. I love this. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. I encourage you guys, we need to start walking in the Spirit more. You are a spirit. And when David talked about deep calls unto deep, he's talking about the eternal Spirit God planted in you we know from the beginning that the spirit that entered that, that body formed of mud and water was the breath of God. Every description of the Holy Spirit in the Hebrew or the Greek means ruach hagadesh. In the Hebrew means breath the holy. Anytime you see ha in Hebrew, it means the. Kodesh means heavy weightiness. That's the word for holiness. Ruach means breath. Ruach HaKadosh means breath the Holy. That's the Holy Spirit in Hebrew. When we get into the Greek, the same thing, the same uh, structure is there. So in the Greek it's talking about, and I'm not going to quote it because I don't remember all of it, but I used to know it, but it means the same thing. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Breath of God. There's no accident that in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit, the advent of the Holy Spirit, when He came on the earth to begin to infect Fuse the church with new power. There's no accident that a mighty rushing wind came in. That was the breath of God being manifested in the physical. Very often when the Holy Spirit moves in real powerful signs and wonders, a breeze, a physical breeze will blow through, revealing in the natural what's happening in the Spirit. So when God breathes on you, that's why when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, and he wanted them to have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Ruach HaKadosh, breath of the Holy. We have to walk in the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Hallelujah. So, I'm coming to the end. We have to seek a balance between right thinking and fervent burning. Remember, we read in, in the, the book of Revelation, Jesus speaking to the church at Laodicea. I would that you be either hot or cold, but above all, don't, 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 don't settle for being lukewarm. So I encourage you, we like balance in the church. It's good to define what we mean by balance. These two things are not opposites. You need to understand that God, God has things that we view as opposites. Righteousness and grace. Right living, usually is a, a, is, righteousness seems to be always linked with judgment. Only one can judge, and that's God. We kind of set ourselves up as judges. But he is also love at the same time. He seems to be opposites, but he isn't. He is, this is a complete picture of what really is. I'll tell you what you should use. I think a helpful picture of, of being steadfast and stable, and on the other hand, being fervent in spirit, red hot praying with fervency, living a red-hot life for Jesus. You know what these are? 
these are the banks of a river. A river is a flow of water that is contained on either side with a bank. On one bank, with the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, the life of God flowing through the streams of life, we have the ability to stand, having done all to stand, armed with the armor and the tools and the weapons of the Holy Spirit. And on the other hand, we have red-hot fervency as we're inspired, breathed in, breathed out by the Spirit. Those are the banks of the same Spirit, the same God we serve. God wants us to have it all. He wants us to be red-hot and to be able to stand. Now, judging by the list that was given to us in Ephesians on how we can stand in this fallen world and be a light. So he's called us to be a light in a storm. He didn't plant the church in a beautiful, calm valley where nobody needs God or they don't think they do. This nation is about ready to discover what it's like. And it has many times before. I don't know if you realize it, but before every major war or every major catastrophe, if you study church history, there was a major, major move of God a revival where hundreds and thousands and even millions of people were swept into the kingdom of God just before difficulty came. Just before the Civil War, one of the greatest revivals this nation ever had occurred so that soldiers on both sides of that terrible war, both the blue and the gray, had been swept into the kingdom just before that great battle. Just before World War I, there's a great move of God. If you check out church history, the Holy Spirit and its understanding was restored to the church in 1902 and up through the early 1900s before World War I. And new life came to the church. Many people came to the Lord just before World War I. Before World War II, there's a great move of God. The latter rain movement. Signs and wonders were restored to the earth. We started seeing dramatic healings. That's when, before World War II, is when you saw the, the ministries of many of the great healing evangelists rise up in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. There was a reason for it. It wasn't just accidental. God knows what he's doing. He cares about people. He does not want anyone, if possible. We're told in the Scriptures he would, he wants all men to be saved but he will not violate human will. Absolutely will not. We have to choose. He's done everything possible, but we have to choose. But he will move heaven and earth so that people can hear the good news. I don't know what's coming. I'm not going to predict it. I'm not going to say it's the end times coming to pass. It could be, and it might not be. We've had terrible times before. We're going to have terrible times again. The law of sowing and reaping is always in effect. It's in effect for nations. It's in effect for leaders. It's in effect for you and me. But I do know that no matter how rough it gets, do you know what the job of the church is? To be a light. you know what the job of the church is? To be a beacon of hope, a refuge. If you look on the walls there, the stuff you see on those walls, they weren't trite phrases that we picked up off of the Internet because some other church did it. We spent a long time praying, arguing, debating, going to the Scriptures, seeing what the Holy Spirit's saying to define who we are. And you'll see on those walls, I encourage you when you go out, look at that. Because it is who we are. We tried to see, Lord, how can we help us understand what you're doing in us? We are a refuge. We're a people who aren't afraid to feel, to think, to, sit, to, to think through and to take risks. 
We believe that God is out to restore things that are lost and broken. Like me. Like you. Hallelujah. I, to bring this down, I'm going to take us all the way back to Mark 12 again in the Message Bible. Jesus said, the first in importance is, listen Israel, the Lord your God is one, so love the Lord God with all of your passion. That's being hot for Him, not lukewarm. Be passionate. Don't care what anybody thinks. Be passionate for Him. And prayer. If you don't pray, you won't have anything to say. But if you pray and spend time with Him, you'll find God speaking to you in the night hours. You'll find that God fills your mouth with words at the exact moment when you need them. Better than you could ever prepare ahead of time. All right? And intelligence. We believe God does not ask you to leave your brain outside the back door when you become a believer. Please pick that thing back up, dust it off, put it where it belongs, and begin to use it. We believe you can ask any question in this house. Ask any question. If you're sincerely seeking an answer, ask the question. God, even God says in the book of Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, come let us argue this out and I will make you white as snow. God has broad shoulders. He's not afraid of any question you want to ask Him. You may not like the answer, but He will give you answers. All right? Do not be afraid of your intellect, but don't worship it either. Don't put your intellect higher than God's Word. And don't assume that because you are intellectual, you are better or are hearing God or understand God better than someone over here who is almost lost in prayer all the time. Do you realize we need both? In fact, we all need to take both sides. That's what I'm saying. We all need to use our brains to the maximum. Doesn't matter what level education. Intelligence really has to do with what, you, what God gave you here and how you're using it. I still don't think we can measure intelligence adequately. I don't see any adequate measure of intelligence yet. But I encourage you guys, we need to have it all. I want every gift of the Spirit in operation in this church because they still exist. God is not... He doesn't have dementia. He hasn't grown weaker. He hasn't withdrawn those powerful gifts. If you look at the gifts in the, in the, in the Scriptures, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, in Romans... In Ephesians, those gifts were given for the church to perfect it. Once we reach perfection, I guess we can discard them. I don't think we're anywhere close. Do you? I think we need those things. Every one of the gifts in operation. Those things have to do with the Spirit. If you're trying to be politically correct, you can forget the gifts. But the church can't afford to forget the gifts. We need every gift in operation. Not just for our meetings. I think primarily we need it to fulfill our mission, which is to touch the world. This church exists for that out there. We are a military, almost a military rescue station, like a Coast Guard station, planted here to rescue the perishing, to minister to the broken, to care about the people who have been discarded. And if we take care of them, God will send us the folks that everyone else wants to have anyway, the doctors, the lawyers, who have discovered Jesus. All right? I, we are a church that needs to care. But we have to do this by the Spirit as much as we do through thoughtful consideration of Scriptures. You need to have it all. You know what? You're the kind of people that can do it all. 
I love to get in a room with people and watch God work. They come up with brilliant, witty ideas. They come up with things by the Spirit that could come no other place than by the Spirit. Some of my favorite people, uh, I still edit some. I'm doing a book for a theologian who is uh, 90 years old, and he is on fire for God and flows in the gifts of the Spirit like a 20-year-old. He burns for people coming to Jesus. He loves to see God heal the sick. He loves to see things. Uh, one of the last books we did, we did it really quick to train church leaders in communist China to help them raise up a church that will stand. And that's, and he, this guy lives, eats, and breathes. So he has this incredible intellect. He's a master of Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, church history, you name it. A brilliant theologian. But when you sit down and talk with him, he cares about Jesus. He cares about people. And you don't have any trouble understanding this guy because it's just straight and to the point. Somehow, he has the intellect and the fire, and he's making a difference in the earth. That's incredible. I want to be like that. I, at the end of my life, I want to be able to say, I have blessed people with my understanding, but I have blessed people because I flowed in the Spirit and did stuff that didn't make any sense at all. Because God said, do it. We're that kind of church. We're getting there, and I want to encourage that stand. You guys have been incredible. I have um, brought you some stuff today. I don't know if you got it all or not. You need to know if any of you ever want notes to these messages, we'll provide them. I've got notes. I love for you to be like the men of Berea described in the book of Acts. That went, and they went to the Scriptures to see if the things they were taught in their church meeting was correct. I love it when you do that. Go dig it out for yourselves. If you can get into the Word for yourself, I've succeeded. If you can go to God and hear Him for yourself, praise God. That's the goal. I do not want to be your priest. I want to be your brother. I want to lead you closer to Jesus so you can hear Him for yourself. I want you to lead you close to the Holy Spirit so you can walk in the Spirit for yourself. I want to see your gifts and callings rise up to their fullest you know, I'm thrilled that my son is going farther than me, my oldest son. My youngest one is already catching up. I love it. A real, true parent wants to see their children go beyond anything they've ever accomplished. My life is a platform not only for my children, but for you guys. If I can make some kind of platform to let you launch and achieve stuff I could never dream of, my life is a success. Same for you guys. I'm not special. I'm just an ordinary guy God is using. That's your testimony too. Has this helped you a little bit? Have I given you any kind of practical thing? Because if it's not practical, it doesn't help you much. I want you to go deep. I want you to be encouraged. I want to pray over you.